Hey everybody, Saul Marquez here and welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Today I have the privilege of hosting Itai Mayor. He is the Senior Director of Security Strategy at Cato Networks and an industry-recognized cybersecurity researcher and keynote speaker. Previously, Itai was the Chief Security Officer for Insights, where he led strategic cybersecurity research and security services. Before that, Ite held numerous leadership positions in research and execution at IBM. And he also wears a hat as adjunct professor at Boston College. So I'm really excited to have him on the podcast today. You guys are going to get your minds blown by what cyber criminals are doing out there and things that we need to be careful when we are running our businesses, running our organizations, and even our personal computer stuff. So Itai, it's such a pleasure to have you here, my friend. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So today is about security, you know, and obviously we are a healthcare base of community here that you're speaking to, Itai, but what inspires your work in security? So I actually got into security when I was young. The, the history of it is I actually hacked my school's database to change my grades. Uh, people sometimes <laughs> ask, uh, how do you become a hacker? And I think most hackers would say it, it comes with necessity. So I had to change my grades. But ever since it evolved, I really got into how computers work and how things operate. And today, I'm just glad I have the opportunity to help companies and help people secure their, their devices, their environment, and their business. Because unfortunately, there are, well, we have a lot of good minds on the defending side. There are a lot of very good minds on the attacking side as well. Yeah. So did you actually change your grades? Uh, yeah, I did. I wasn't very <laughs> smart about it because I, I was a very bad student in Arabic and I changed my grades from a fail to an A+, which, you know, thinking about it probably wasn't the smartest move. Now, my dad, who was Department of Defense back in Israel where I lived, thought it was really funny, but my mom was a teacher at that school. She didn't find it funny <laughs> at all, and I got punished. But, you know, it got me thinking about, it wasn't even called cybersecurity at the time. It got me thinking because I thought, well, wait a minute. If I would have broken into the school and changed my grades on a piece of paper and get caught, I would have a police record. And all I got here was this little slap on the wrist. This seems interesting. Let's let's it learn. Interesting. It is interesting. Very funny, by the way. I mean, and the, and the dichotomy at home with your mom and dad. And but there's your love for this stuff started there. And so talk to us a little bit about how you and, and the work that you do is adding value in the security space. So I think today a lot most organizations understand that they can be a victim of an attack. You know, if you talked several years ago, many organizations would say, well, we don't have any information or anything interesting for attackers. Attackers, you know, most of them go after financial institutions because, as the old saying goes, that's where the money is at. So that's what they attack. But it's significantly changed over the past, I would say, seven to eight years. Very different discussions from what we had when I started in security in the early 2000s because any organization can be a target today. When you think about threats like uh, ransomware attacks, they target everybody. They started by, if you recall way back in the day, they started by attacking individuals at home, but then very fast, the attackers realized they can make a lot more than ransoming somebody's PC for $500 if they can ransom a hospital in California for half a million dollars. And it just grew and grew and grew. So there's that side of things. There's also the side of things of all the nation state attacks and the value of data. So it's not just about money anymore. There's a lot of ways that criminals threat actors, uh, nation state actors can monetize or use data that they steal or, or get a hold of. So that's 
kind of been my passion throughout these past years. And what we do is we help organizations, first of all, understand where they may be vulnerable, understand what they're currently doing wrong and how they can make things better. Now, don't get me wrong. Not every threat actor can be stopped. You know, if you think about a nation state actor, I can't think of a single person who say, yeah, I can stop any nation state actor out there. I'd be worried if I heard that from somebody. But we, we need to do a better job of early detection and mitigation. And yes, in some case, prevention of these attacks. Yeah, it's important for us to be aware. And it starts with awareness. You know, I had a chance to chat with Ite before our, our podcast and just like, wow, the amount of things that could happen are just mind blowing. And so I was excited to get him on here for all of us to learn and, and listen to what some of these things are. So why don't we start off with kind of showing us some of the things that are happening, you know, talk to us about those things and then talk to us about what people could be doing that's different or better than what the average is doing. Sure. And you know what, let's let's talk about people. You know, every time I go to a cybersecurity conference, I'm also part of, you know, the CFP committees for different events. We always talk about people, processes, and technology, but we really focus on technology, you know, the cool zero days and the cool systems and, and artificial intelligence and blockchain and whatever. But the, if you look at it, at the end of the day, the attackers, the most of the breaches, they start with targeting the people, not the technology. So let's start with talking about the people. And I think it's especially important during this day and age because we, most of us have started working from home. We've been forced into this really fast, and I don't think we did a, a really good job of securing our home environment, which is actually our work environment now. And one thing that I think we should definitely discuss is, is the initial portions of an attack. How do the attackers even start their, their breaches? What is the initial point of access, which is usually a person? And I, what I don't think a lot of people realize today is how much information is available out there about you. Not because it was stolen. Well, yeah, you could find some stolen databases on the deep web or the dark web, but just stuff that you put out there by yourself. And people tend to think of some of these attacks as super sophisticated. And indeed, they can be really sophisticated. But in many cases, they start by very simple, what we call OSINT, open source intelligence, just mm -hmm. scanning social networks for you know breadcrumbs and, and, and information about your victim. Because if somebody's out there and they're saying, this is my hobby, this is what I like to do, this is where I like to travel, this is, you know, all kinds of information that can be gathered by a threat actor and put together as a, a first stage of an attack, something to do with social engineering. Send somebody who really likes uh, dogs, for example, and advertises that. Take all that information. An attacker could potentially, you know, send him a, an email saying, hey, we're a new dog shop in your area. Here's a coupon. We know you love dogs. Here's a coupon for your first visit, 50% off. And they embed a piece of malware in it. And that's not a new type of attack, actually. You know, we've seen these in the past against large organizations as well, where somebody, not necessarily the CEO or the CFO, received an email which was embedded with a piece of malware. And that's how they, they got in. So what does the malware do? They just kind of like, what does it do? So what a malware does, uh, malicious software, it can do, well, depends what it was programmed to do. A lot of these pieces of malware, there are many categories, can do everything from key logging to collecting information and sending them outside. Ransomware is a form of malware. Yeah. Uh, so it can encrypt your computer. There are malwares, which are RATS. RATS stand for remote access tool. So they actually take control oh over your device. Get out of here. So yeah, so there's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of different options. And 
One of the things that really changed in the last, I'd say, almost decade is these have become a lot more accessible and easy to obtain and operate. It's not like when I started as a kid in order to learn these things and understand how they work, I used modems and BBS as bulletin board systems, if anybody remembers those. <laughs> Friday nights, I would sit, you know, nobody pick up the phone, not on the computer. So that's, that's how I got that information. Today, you can go into these forums on the web and you can buy these products. And in some cases, you don't even oh. need to buy these products. So there's there a marketplace for malware too? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, oh there's a lot of forums and that's shops crazy. on the web, on the deep no web, idea. and on the dark web. Whoa. Here's the, something even more interesting. In some cases, you don't even need to buy the product. Some of them are sold, sold as a service. We call it fraud as a service. So you can hire somebody who will help you and do this. So almost with zero knowledge oh my in the technology side, you provide the attacker. Here's, the, here's my victim. Here's what I... I know about them and they'll provide you with a malware or a phishing attack or an email or something that will help you attack. Wow. That's terrible. But it it's, good, it's good to know about it. All right. So, you know, so we're all thinking here, right? Like, oh my gosh. So if all this stuff is possible, how can I protect my business? How can I protect myself? Talk to us about that. I think one of the important things here is, first of all, not to be the lower hanging fruit, because mm -hmm. like I said before, you can't stop a nation state attacker. An attacker with unlimited resources, unlimited time, and a goal is hard to stop. On the other yeah. hand, you can stop and prevent some of the other types of attacks. And interestingly enough, just as I said that some of these attacks start off very simple, some of the very simple ways to stop them is doing what I think everybody should be doing anyway, which is Patch your systems. Keep everything up to date. Don't use easy to use passwords. Update your passwords on your hardware as well. I mean, people started working from home, right? Have you updated your router's password or your home camera or Nest password? Because those are ways for attackers to, to get in. I got to update those. Yeah. I wasn't uh, thinking about those. But it's so easy for attackers today to scan the internet for devices which are out there, printers, routers, whatever they are, and they use they use default passwords and brute force attacks to, to attack them. So hmm. very simple stuff that we can do and you know at least not be the lower hanging fruit. Now, that's for people at home. Organizations can do other things as well. I mean, they have to protect their employees, their infrastructure as well. And I think with now move to the cloud, it actually, that's one of the biggest changes we've seen ever, I think. Because most of the solutions that we have today are what we call on-prem solutions. Everything is on a server, on a computer, in your, in your organization's immediate vicinity. With a move to the cloud, we actually have an opportunity to, to do much better security, much better security and much better networking. So I think there's an opportunity here. And it, it's something we should take advantage of, this convergence of, of networking and, and security. Now, I do have to say, it's really easy for me as a security person to say, hey, patch all your systems. And I get it. It's not that easy. If we're special, if we're talking about hospitals or critical infrastructure, right? It's easy for me to say it, but you know, patching a system may cause some systems not to work. Now, what about systems that life depends on? Or what about systems you know, that control, I don't know, an oil refinery? So it's not as easy as it sounds. So I just wanted to put that kind of put that that little remark out there. It's easy for me to say it's harder to do, but I do think sure. we have an opportunity now with, like I said, with the move to the cloud. Yeah, no, for sure. And I appreciate you highlighting those things. So talk to us about some of the things that you guys have done to, you know, protect organizations and help them overcome some of these these issues that are becoming all too common. Sure. So Cato Networks is in the uh, SaaS uh, space, Secure Access Service Edge. 
which is actually the convergence of networking and security. And what we've done is we've actually helped customers not only have better networking for their devices, for their users, for their data centers, wherever they are, because again, I mentioned before, we're at the age of working from home. Now, if you have, say, a physician working from home, shouldn't he get the same level of security as if he was in the office? Today, the answer is, is they're not getting it. Maybe they're using a VPN, but they definitely don't have all the protective mechanisms they would have if they were in the office. So providing everybody, whatever devices they use, wherever they are, the same level of security and networking is something that is top of mind for us. But when you look, dive into the security side of things, the fact that we can see our customers' network and security means that we can identify different threats even before we understand their threats, which sounds kind of weird. So I'll explain in one second, in, in a short sentence. We can look at different attributes and say, we said we mentioned malware before, right? right? Let's say somebody has malware on their device. We can say, well, we see this stuff going on the network and we see a computer going to a domain we've never seen before communicating. That by itself may not be too suspicious. But then we see that it communicates every week, once a week, and the same type of packets, exactly the same communication. Uh, well, that looks a little bit more suspicious. And now that we see that it's trying to morph and change its signature, well, these by themselves are not good enough. But when you combine this holistic view, you can say, okay, this plus this plus this, I don't know what it is, but it's bad. And so we can help our customers identify these types of threats before they even start. And that's just a, a small example. I can talk about you know, that, what I mentioned before, securing everybody wherever they are, whether they're working from home, from the office, from the data center, whatever it is, things like identifying threats, making sure the threats don't jump between locations. Uh, a lot of times we look what we call north-south traffic and not east-west, but with ransomware, lateral movement, all of that, the traffic goes between different sites. And so I think it's, these things are extremely important. And I think it's also important to bust some cybersecurity myths that we see out there today. Okay. Uh, one of the things- I love myth busting. Okay, so I have several, but I'll just mention one, probably some. the one that's going to make a lot of security folks angry at me, but I have to say it. A lot of times when you go to security talks, you hear people say, you know, the attackers have to be right just once. The defenders have to be right all the time. I even used to say that a couple of years ago, but I actually now think it's exactly the opposite. If you look at the attack lifecycle against any organizations, even you call it ones that targeted healthcare organizations, you'll see that the attacker has to be right so many times before they get to the crown jewels. Think about what an attacker needs to do in order to put a ransom on a hospital's data center. They need to persuade somebody to click on a link, and then they need to get access into the network. Then they need to jump between different servers to find where these crown jewels are. And they need to have a staging server, and they need to encrypt the server. There's just many stages. So actually, the attackers have to rewrite a lot of times. And us, the defenders, we have a lot of opportunities to catch them. And I think one of the things that we fail in today is that we have a lot of siloed solutions. We have a lot of point solutions. We have an antivirus, but it doesn't communicate with, you know, whatever other systems are there, with our firewall, with our SIM, with our whatever it is. And the attackers are taking advantage of that siloed view that the defenders have. And so this notion of the attackers need to be right just once is incorrect. It's actually the opposite. And we have a lot of opportunities today to actually stop or at least detect and mitigate these threats. Yeah, I love the perspective here, Itai. So thank you so much for that. So what would you say you've done to improve results and security and make business better? So aside from what I do in my jobs, what I try to do is kind of 
shape the minds of the future. I teach at Boston College. I teach actually a course called Designing Offensive and Defensive Capabilities. So I try to educate my students about how attackers think about things and to think out of the box. We do this through different types of simulations, games, and then actual proof of concept. And what's really interesting is at the end of the course that I teach, uh, the final project is I split the, the class into teams and I let them mm-hmm. choose a company, whatever they want, and they have to have a, an attack planned on them. So based on information they find about them, uh, scanning their systems legally, everything should be done legal, of course. Yes, yes. Open source intelligence about the executives, whatever it is, they have to come up with a plan. If they were attackers, how they would launch an attack against this company. And, you know, now that you mentioned it, what's really interesting is last year's class, we had four teams, all four chose pharmaceutical or or healthcare-related companies. I didn't tell them to do that. Unprompted. Yeah, they just saw them as the most high reward, low risk, (laughs) sorry Mm. to say, types of attacks for attackers. And they showed me how they collected information against several companies. Actually, one is a COVID-19 vaccine manufacturer. They collected information about their servers and where they would be vulnerable. They collected information about executives, where they live, their kids' name, license plates. They even went into the deeds registry, the local deeds registry, and obtained copies of some of their mortgages, which is, you know, I have no idea why, but it's public information. But now they they have the signature, the physical signature of VPs of a COVID-19 manufacturing company. They showed me, for example, attacks against an executive that they would run an executive in a local hospital and how they were able to obtain her personal information and design a social engineering attack directly towards her. And I mean, these things are just what my students with one course under their belt can do. But if you go into the deep and dark web, you can find stuff that's being sold there. I mean, I've seen a physician's home computer that they infected with a remote access tool. We were talking to our criminal, interrogating him, and he said he has access to a physician's computer. And we said, you know what? We don't believe you. (laughs) So he sent us a screenshot of their desktop with all the folders, and you can see patient name, and you can see his credit card reader, and you can see directories called uh, x-rays and all kinds of information. It's crazy. And I can't really blame him. You know, this person is trying to work from home. If we don't provide him with everything he needs to be secure and to do his work effectively, as I mentioned before, necessity is the mother of of, of hacking, right? This person needed to work, probably downloaded information to his or her computer. Well, it's his computer. I know who that is. To his computer and tried to do the best thing for his patients. But unfortunately, an attacker was able to put a remote access tool on his computer and now has all that information. So we're talking about HIPAA issue and PCI DSS compliance issues because there's card reader, there's a credit card reader there. There's just so much information. So Going back to your original question, I'm trying to educate the future generation with what an attacker would do to think out of the box, to try to think what they would do in order to attack the organizations, because you can't really defend unless you know how to attack. Wow. Man, that's so cool, Itai. I love that you're doing this. And I mean, it's so practical what you're teaching these these kids to do. And if you are thinking in the shoes of the attacker, you could protect yourself better. So something for all of us to think about. And man, I mean, I just have all these questions running through my head, like, how about stored passwords? And how about stored credit cards? You know, oftentimes we use browsers to store these items. Do you recommend for or against or like protective ways to do it? So Before I answer that, let me just first say that 
I don't even like to talk about what we do as security. At the end of the day, it's risk management, right? On the one side of the pendulum, you have a completely secure system. On the other hand, you have the easiest system to use. Now, where do you want to put, you know, and that's something that I talk with organizations. We don't make it as simplistic, but, you know, where, where do you see yourself? What is your risk tolerance? Mm-hmm. And that applies to people at home as well. Because I, for example, try to not use the autosave of passwords, and I don't like to save my credit card in the browser. These systems okay. are relatively secure, but if somebody gets a hold of like my computer with a remote access tool, it doesn't matter because they just open the browser and all the information is in there. But that's that's me. And I have to keep in mind that it doesn't make my life easier, right? Because it's much easier to just click and you know everything works. So where do you want to go between security and usability. And that's Mm. something that everybody needs to decide for themselves. Having said that, definitely, definitely not using uh, the same password everywhere. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, you know, it's a common mistake. And I made that mistake for a long time. And now all of my passwords are crazy different for every single thing. And there's those auto-generated ones that Mm -hmm. I'm like, how in the world could anybody guess this? And that's great. But, you know, it's still for a lot. And especially for systems, I don't want to tell you just how many times I run into systems and also medical systems where the default username and passwords are admin admin. Mm. Um, I mean, finding some of the manuals for these devices online is very easy. And then you can see the default password that, you know, nobody changed because, you know, who would hack into uh, whatever it is? a CT scanner. Unfortunately, it's, you know, I did some checks on this. I did look into CTI scanners and what is it called? Uh, DICOM, I think was one of them. And these are easy to find on the web as well. So these are basic things that I think we can use. And then it's up to you regarding the your tolerance for security versus uh, usability. I would like to mention that I've recently seen an interview with our Russian ransomware group. And I also saw, I have some screenshots from negotiations with a ransomware group. In both cases, they actually gave at the end of the interview and at the end of the negotiations, some tips of how to avoid being targeted by them. And a lot of these tips are the basic security, you know, basic security things that everybody should be doing. They, they say, don't use default passwords. Make sure you don't have administrative privileges for those who don't need it. Close different sessions. Make sure that you don't use uh, knowledge-based authentication to authenticate people. So, you know, don't ask questions like, what's your mother's maiden name or which car did you drive in 85? These are crazy easy for attackers to overcome. So it's the basic things that can really help us at least mitigate or detect some of these attacks. Yeah. Thank you. Very, very useful. Thank you. And so what would you say is one of the biggest setbacks you've experienced? And what was the key learning? Setbacks. Well, you know, at the beginning of this COVID-19 situation, the whole move to uh, remote work, well, it wasn't shocking. But it came faster than than we thought. I mean, we knew yeah. that remote work was going to happen in the next five years. It just happened right now. Yeah. And and so I think it wasn't a really a setback, but for me it was. You know what? Here's a learning moment, and it really it pushed me back to something that happened to me about seven or eight years ago. I was running a simulation with a bank. We were doing a uh, breach preparedness. And at one point, I decided, you know, when you do breach preparedness, everybody is in a hustle. Okay, which team talks to who? How do we handle this situation? We always try to have what we call the monkey in the room that just throws problems. And I decided out of the blue to say, you know what? All your systems are down now due to ransomware. And immediately, one of the managers stood up and said, you know what? You can't do that. That will never happen. And I, I give full kudos to the CISO, the chief information security company of that bank that said, you know, 
don't say that. We don't know what, what's going to happen. This might actually happen in the future. That was before ransomware became really big. And so I think it threw me back to that because I think we need to be, how would I say this? I don't want to say prepared for, for the unknown, but with every plan, we always have a business recovery plan, a disaster recovery, sorry, disaster recovery plan. Uh, we have plans for all kinds of physical situations in our environment, uh, whether it's a fire or something happening or, or something happening to the business. The cybersecurity plan needs to be there for any event that might come up. We need to have this as part of, and I think a lot of companies are now having this as a, a board level discussion. Mm-hmm. What do we do in case of, and not have anything off the table because we don't really know what's what's really up and coming. And so it connects to what I mentioned before. One of the opportunities that we have here is this whole move to the cloud that allows us to be a little bit more flexible and prepared for some of the unknowns because we don't really know. You know, we might have in the next five to six years a new type of device or communication that we want to implement into our network. How do we use it? How do we secure it? How do we approach it? We just need to have these unknowns not be thought of, but be prepared for for the unknown, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that. And so what would you say you're most excited about? Well, first of all, I'm really excited about everybody coming back to -to face-to-face meetings pretty soon. (laughs) That would be nice. I'm looking forward to that too. Yeah, but you know, we're not going to move. It's not going to go back. We're not going to be working from our offices as we were before. I don't think it's ever going to be back as directly as it was. And so I think this is really an interesting time for us because we've never experienced something like this before. With changes in our security architecture, with changes with how people work and, and how they operate, I think we have, we honestly do have an opportunity here to do better security, to help organizations and people in how they secure their personal environments, their work environments. We're also coming to very, very fast to, you know, we talk about 5G and IoT, Internet of Things. We're going to have so many new devices starting to be connected. That's going to create a lot of challenges for us as defenders, but I think a lot of opportunities as well for detection and securing people. I think. One of the things that really I'm grateful that is happening is the move away actually from passwords. You mentioned passwords before. I hate passwords. <laughs> I hate passwords because even the complex ones are complex for humans, but they're not their complex not for complex machines. for machines. So moving away from it, using all these different sensors now that we have around us to authenticate us, whether it's yeah. how we move our mouse, where we are currently versus where we claim to be, you know, somebody's logging into it ties healthcare account, but we know based on Itai's phone that he's driving. So how can that happen? All kinds of sensors and devices around us that will allow us to better secure ourselves and you know, hopefully even up the fight with the attackers. Yeah, well, we're using voice. We're using facial recognition, right? I mean... Oh, now you got me thinking about... I just did an interview not too long ago, a webinar with a deepfake expert, and he showed me how easy it is to alter the voice and to synthesize voice and faces. He, you know, he got me worried. He was showing me, I think we're getting close to the age where we can are able to create deepfakes in real time. So you could join a Zoom meeting and look like somebody else and sound like somebody else. Oh my gosh. Yeah, some of these things are crazy interesting and they're going to come. They're going to make it. It's, it's going to be an interesting world to live in. I, I remember our, my discussion with him, Raymond, he's a great guy. We talked about how deepfakes are going to be used for fraud and for different types of attacks. But also another element of it is what he referred to as as the liar's dividend. You could potentially in the future say, hey, that wasn't me on the phone call. That was somebody who deepfaked my voice. I didn't do it. Or that's not me in that video with that person. That's somebody else. Oh um, it's all deepfakes. So now what is reality? 
But that's a whole yeah. other discussion. It's troubling. You can also basically stay in your house and not leave your office ever if you worry about everything, right? <laughs> it's that balance, like you mentioned earlier, that ease of work versus security. And we all have to make the decision. But the key of today's podcast was awareness, making all of us aware that these threats are out there and that solutions are also available. Uh, it's just a matter of how we want to approach it. So Itai, thank you so much for this. This has been a, a real treat. Why don't you give us a closing thought and then the best place the listeners could get in touch with you if they want to continue the conversation? Sure. So I think you said it uh, nicely. It's all about awareness and being aware that what we do online Digital information never goes away, and so it may be used by attackers for different types of attacks. I'm not saying don't use social media and social networks. I'm just saying be aware of what you share, and then if somebody sends you something that's related to that, doesn't mean you should automatically trust them. So it's a notion of being aware of what's out there and, and what is your risk tolerance. I can tell you I do these practices for myself, for my family, for what my daughter installs on her iPad and so on. So we have to keep on living. I love personally enjoying all the technology that's around me. And I have to consider, you know, what do I give and take uh, for that? To reach me, we have our website, Cato Networks. I also have a masterclass of these topics where I talk about open source intelligence, ransomware attacks, supply chain attacks, and kind of trying to train you similar to what I do at Boston College about these aspects and how an attacker would think. So if you want to see that, I welcome you to join that. And, and where is that available? On CatoNetworks.com. Okay. On okay. So CatoNetworks.com, folks, check that out. If this seemed interesting to you, is just the tip of the iceberg. Itay goes deeper at CatoNetworks.com. So look out for that masterclass. And Itay, thank you so much. This has been uh, really valuable and hope you have an amazing rest of the day today. Thank you. Thank you very much.